Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly News Live. Uh, me and Nico are coming uh, coming at you today, unfortunately not from uh, a very glamorous, soundproofed podcast studio like last week's episode. We're uh, we're back to normal, Nico, I'm afraid, in our, uh, in our virtual environments. How are you today? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. And, and, and once again, and that's a funny story, because I was approached by uh, uh, some of our fans uh, and shout out once again for uh, the lovely people actually now during Sigma uh, just stepping towards me and congratulating the both of us, uh, in, indeed the four of us, including Pierre and uh, Connor, Connor as well, to this awesome um you know, podcasts we're doing and the live stream. So once again, shout out to each and everybody stepping up. Um, because usually if you don't participate uh, um, within the podcast during or live stream within the chat, we don't know and we're not aware that you're actually listening. So always feel free to approach us and get in touch with us. We are live and uh, vivid and likable persons. Exactly. I, I, I could not approach you if I saw you at a show, Nico. It'd be like, uh, you know, <laughs> seeing a famous person out in the wild. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was great to be in our in our podcast studio in our, our Malta office last week. Uh, has all the mods and cons. If you did miss that um, episode, you can go to next.io's YouTube channel um, and the video will be available there under the live tab. Uh, where me, Nico and Pierre joined us and we talked about um, DraftKings becoming the new market leader in the US uh, and also the launch of ESPN bets. So, um, yeah, feel free to go and seek that out if that interests you. Um, Nico, you said thank you to our viewers um, and uh, I'd like to echo that. I'll also say a big thank you today to our sponsors, Playson and Bombay Group, and to everybody kind enough to watch along and comment in the chat. Please send your comments in. Uh, and we'll do our best to to read them out during the broadcast today. Uh, big hello to Nico, Rory, and Elizabeth, who have already said hello. Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, and I think we can uh, we can crack on with ten and five now, Nico. Yeah, sure, sure. So uh, starting with uh, ten and five, it's uh, once again a little bit of of, of Germany. As there's a study about the new gambling treaty. Um, which calls on GGL, the German regulatory, to tackle black market fallout. So the University of Leipzig study used data from Nielsen Media Germany's online meter panel recording online activities of approximately 25,000 consumers in Germany, recording visits and engagements with over 700 gambling domains. Please be aware, in Germany, they had been giving out roughly... 35, 38 licenses. So it's quite interesting that we're speaking about 700 gambling domains. Monitoring developments as of March 2023, only about half, 50.7% of German gamblers engaged with licensed providers. The report detailed a significant shift towards unlicensed EU, it's 29%, and offshore, 20% operators observed since January 2019. This, of course, caused an action by the regulator themselves, the GGL, as they reject criticism of data collection on black market exposure. Who would have thought? So the identified illegal websites are estimated to represent a market volume ranging from 300 million to 500 million, million accounting for approximately 
two to four percent of the regulated market. And the GGL stressed that its findings are based on diverse methodologies, including the analysis of unregulated platforms and their visitor activities, as well as on evaluation of affiliate marketing networks. Furthermore, the GGL emphasized that its surveys are regularly adjusted and further developed. So quite interesting, and we will get to this a little bit more in detail uh, during our uh, talk. Heading over to the US, as US commercial gaming revenue hits record of 16.17 billion in Q3. Q3 2023 was the US commercial gaming industry's best third quarter on record, generating the already mentioned 16.17 billion US dollars. According to the American Gaming Association, short AGA, commercial revenue tracker. So the revenue was up 6.1% year over year, and it was the 11th quarter of, uh, it was the 11th consecutive quarter of annual revenue growth on the second highest grossing quarter yet behind the Q1 2023. So there's only one way up in the US and it's skyrocketing uh, into the sky. So uh, touching down on the conversation we had last uh, weekend as well with the awesome and um, beautiful looking Pierre Lindt himself, FanDuel makes 70% of all New Jersey sportsbook revenue during October. The national debate about the top player in the sports betting market may have caused the debate in the last few weeks New Jersey, there's no debate at all as data shows that of the entire state's revenue last month. So the new uh, New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement data displayed that FanDuel made 64.1 million in revenue uh, from the Garden State last month and the entirely market was 92.3 million. As numbers don't lie, Shout out to Fanwell once again. Staying in the U.S., as the uh, Florida Supreme Court denies requests to take Hard Rock Bet offline. Roughly two weeks ago, West Flagler and associates, associates petitioned the court to shut down the recently relaunched Hard Rock Bet until the case could be settled by the state's highest court. The court apparently did not agree with West Flagler's concerns and denied the request last Friday. The Seminole tribe of Florida is pleased with this anonymous decision by the justices of the Florida Supreme Court, which has been stated by the Seminole tribe of Florida. The EGBA welcomes Aircash as first associate member. So the headquartered in Croatia, Aircash is a player in the digital uh, payment flat, uh, platform running their own e-wallet and uh, uh, cash to um, e-wallet as well with more than 10,000 uh, point of sales. Um, finally, uh, delivering compliant financial services across Central and Eastern Europe are now member of the EGBA. Um, Shout out to them. So an update from Brazil as the sports betting tax and iGaming tax rate is set at 12%. So a reduced 12% tax rate for Brazil sports betting was confirmed after the country's Economic Affairs, Economic Affairs Commission approved Bill uh, 
3626/23 on 22nd of October which was uh, sorry of November which was yesterday and while an attempt to remove iGaming from the legislation also failed during today yesterday's session after online casino was unexpectedly added to the sports betting bill in September Once again, shout out to the Gausselmann Group as they win the tender for casino uh, casino con uh, concessions in the German state of Lower Saxony. So the Gausselmann Group announced Tuesday that it has won the tender for the casino concession of the German state of Lower Saxony, resulting in the group having the opportunity to operate up to 10 casino locations, retail casinos, so the concession, con concession allows for the state license location to be operated under the umbrella of the Merco brand from 1st September 2024, initially, initially for a period of 15 years. And just to put this a little bit into perspective, with this retail license for um, Lower Saxony, they are also able to apply for the iGaming offerings of these um, blackjacks, uh, roulette, etc., for the state of Lower Saxony as well. Then Belgium's attorney generals provide guidelines for prosecution of gambling breaches. So the board of attorney generals has drawn up guidelines intended to clarify norms for the prosecution of infringements of gambling regulations. And last but not least, the um, then a, a Swedish spell inspection gains approval to increase uh, Swedish gambling fines as from 2024, the inspectorate will be able to impose the same penalty fees for AML infringements as those under the Gambling Act of 2018 with the specific maximum amount for the individual violations as well. So this has been the 10 and 5. Thank you very much, Nico. That was a great little roundup there. Um, just want to say a quick hello to Bogdan and to Jadip and to Katie, who have uh, joined us since you started. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Nico, obviously, there was a lot of German headlines in that 10 and 5. Um, and there's been a bit of a another sort of ding dong between the uh, the regulator and the, uh, and the trade bodies over in Germany. Um, I'm just wondering if you could kind of Give us the latest on the uh, on the channelization row that seems to be developing over there. Yeah. So first of all, um, I would just do a, a pretty much a, a wrap up um, of um, the panel we had uh, roughly four weeks ago, three to four weeks ago, where we had the panelists and leading trade union uh, representatives of uh, Matthias Dams, uh, um, Dirk Quermann, um, and Jörg Hoffmann um, as well. And this all comes up to literally one fact. While the operators see a significant uh, amount of players actually resigning and, um, you know, um, not depositing money on the licensed entities, we also see a, a de um, decrease, a decline in the tax revenue. So as soon as it comes to tax revenues, it's a pretty much reliable number as this is... Um, um, you know, published on a monthly basis. And as said, if you want to dive deeper into this topic, feel free to uh, re-listen to the episode we had four weeks ago. But just to sum up things a little bit. Um, so especially for uh, casino um, games, virtual slots, if you're interested in playing blackjack or roulette, which 
prior regulations, this made 50% of the overall iGaming revenue. You actually can't use these kind of games in regulated markets. Guess what? So if you want to still want to play these games, of course, you need to sign up at non-licensed and so-called black market operations while the operators see at least these 50% being gone, the um, GGL still states, and the, these uh, numbers are actually decreasing in a negative way while the channelization rate during the Gaming in Germany conference was stated and labeled with 5%. The latest numbers is, yeah, channelization rate or the black market operations represent 2 to 4%, which implies a channelization rate for 96 up to um, 98%. And as already stated so often, you can actually just solve a problem as soon as you realize there is a problem. And as stated, declining tax uh, numbers, facts of underlying studies, and, you know, uh, analyzing 25,000 uh, players is a significant amount and a reliable empirical study as well, while GGL still states like, okay, we have our own methodology and it works. Unfortunately, they don't actually specify whatever methodology they are using. So fingers crossed at some point, people at GGL will wake up and face reality. And as soon as this might start, we will actually, and hopefully fingers crossed, see um, a, a turning ship like we, we've seen in Denmark as well and already. Um, and as said, fingers crossed that GGL will finally acknowledge that things are, aren't going in the right direction. Yeah, fingers crossed. You might be waiting a little while though, uh, Nico, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but looking, uh, looking away from Germany now and moving on to kind of our first main topic um, of, of the show, and uh, a whirlwind few days for Katina Media. Um, so Katina basically finished its um, strategic review with the sale of its uh, Italian affiliate assets for uh, for 19.8 million euros this week. Um, these assets, uh, one of which we now know was bought by OddsChecker, um, they generated revenue of 7.8 million euros and EBITDA of 3.4 million euros in the 12 months to September 2023. Um, and basically this sale um, kind of triggered Katina's exit from uh, from the Italian market um, and the money that they made from the sale is going to be used to, to repay debt. Um, this is what the, uh, the CEO, Michael Daly, had to say on the matter. He said, the sales further sharpen our strategic focus and strengthen our financial position, allowing us to streamline operations further and redeploy capital into our core areas as we double down on capturing expanding opportunities in regulated markets in the Americas. So reading between the lines, Nico, that sounds to be like a, a kind of sole focus on the uh, on the US now um, after selling, you know, pretty much everything else that they owned over the, over the last 18 months. Um, we know that they sold their flagship brand, Ask Gamblers, to GIG recently, um, and we'll, we'll sort of dive into that in a bit more detail later. Um, but it also sold its UK and Australian sports betting brands for 6 million euros earlier this year. Um, 
And just as that review's come to an end now, they said basically that all of the sales um, agreed on as part of the review uh, raised a total of 76 million euros. Um, and will, and the review will result in annualized cost savings of between 3.8 million and 4.2 million euros going forwards. Um, so, Nico, yeah, I, I guess the big question here is, uh, is, is was it worth it for Katina? So, in the end, you, you never know if it if it's, it's it's if it's worth it. But I'm pretty sure uh, they have been, or they are well aware of. Uh, you know, their investments in the US and it just seems like, okay, um, they are putting all their eggs into this one basket, which means, okay, all in on the US side. And as already stated within the numbers we are we are seeing in, on the US um, side with the AGA, uh, 16.17 billion just uh, within one quarter. As of now, it seems like the big sharks in the U.S. are just positioning themselves, also with Better Collective. Uh, two weeks ago, they uh, paid, one or two weeks ago, they roughly paid 161 million U.S., uh, no, Canadian dollars, if I'm not mistaken, for an, um, for an entity in, in, in Canada. So this is for sure uh, a, a deep pocket and a big guy's game all over in the U.S. I don't know if this will play out. But usually, and this is not an investment advice, but if you are now um, have have some background within um, investment, you should always diversify your portfolio because if plan A doesn't work out, usually your plan B comes into place. And if the strat uh, strategy of your plan B is labeled as hopefully plan A works, it ain't good at all. Yeah, I, I think there was... Um degree of kind of mixed messages from Katina on this issue as well, because um, one of the quotes in the press release said um, that the review kind of reflected, you know, Katina Media's belief that stable regulated markets offer the best framework for long term engagement and sustainable growth over time. Um, but they've just sold their UK assets, Australian assets and their Italian assets, which all fit that definition of kind of, you know, long term and, and sustainable markets um regulated markets so yeah i'm not sure the the investors are, are kind of um behind this story if you like and they were they were pretty impressed and they they dumped stock in uh in katina as well on the on q3 results day um and the share price actually went down by about 22 percent, i think at one point um if we if we have a closer look at those uh those q3 results uh revenue dropped 28 percent year on year to 15.9 million and U.S. revenue, uh, Nico, well, well, as you just said, they're kind of putting their all, all of their eggs in that basket. Um, U.S. revenue fell by 29% to 13.3 million. Uh, and new depositing customers also fell by 34% year on year. So a pretty uh, bleak quarter. And I think um, hopefully our producer, Lorraine, has got a graph um, on that. There we go. Beautiful. On that financial performance now, um, which doesn't make particularly pretty reading. Um, but yeah, Katina said that those decreases were because it was um, mostly because it was transitioning away from a kind of CPA cost per acquisition model um, in the US and towards a, a rev share model instead. Um, and, and Nico, I was hoping you could kind of explain um, for our viewers that might not be aware kind of what sort of what that means for, for affiliates. Uh, could you just repeat the question once again? I was just looking up something. 
Yeah, they're um basically they said the reason for these declines was because they're moving away from a, a cost per acquisition CPA model and, and into a kind of rev share model instead. Um, so I was hoping you'd be able to sort of explain the difference between those models for our uh, for our viewers. So if you just you know literally take a look at these these models, I'm not. So first of all, you have a, a regular CPA, which is the cost per acquisition model, and cost per acquisition only, which is like as soon as a customer, um, first of all, a customer has been transferred to your operations by an uh, affiliate. Usually, um, these customer. Um, come with a, a tracking ID so you could as an operator literally see okay customer XYZ was handed over by affiliate ABC so a CPA means and this is usually uh, written within the uh, the contract as soon as a, um, a transferred customer deposits which is so, uh, called the FTDs first time depositors a certain amount of money 25 50 50 USDs this will uh, initiate a payment towards um, the uh, the affiliate, uh, affiliate. Usually, a CPA, uh, as an example, in the Dutch market, the Netherlands, is around three hundred euros. So, um, you will get a benefit of three hundred euros, but that's it. Within the ref share, usually you don't get a CPA, but Whenever the customer, the overall customers, are on a losing basis, so you have a positive revenue um, of these um, customers, then the affiliate get a percentage of this revenue, which means they don't get the um, initial uh, CPA, but they get a ref share of um, 35 45%. It just depends on the quality of the um, affiliate you shifted over but then you're getting constant uh, revenues which is way more attractive and the overall and most liked um, model is the so-called hybrid model which combines the CPA and the ref share which is then resulting in a less uh, CPA example giving probably in the in the Netherlands of around 100 120 euros per uh, FTD combined with a ref share of 30% and then you actually gain both of uh, the the benefits of both of these worlds with the CPA and the ref share on a usually on a lifetime basis yeah great stuff Nico thank you very much for that and um I think yeah, rev share is kind of going to be more sustainable for for these affiliates in the long run, but it um it looks like it's gonna gonna result in some short term headwinds. I think Better Collective were were guiding um to to that as well and as part of their Q three results. Um, but to to kind of rub salt in the uh, in the wounds for Katina Media, um, Ask Gamblers, which was the the brand that they sold to GIG, um, appears to have kind of really gone from strength to strength um, under under new ownership. Um, and analysts on the on the earnings call were, were keen to know kind of why Katina hadn't been able to to unlock that potential in the brand, um, which is uh, which is now thriving according to GIG. Um, and if if we compare Q3 2023 uh, to the run rate in February 2023, GIG said that both player intake and revenues were up by around 45% um, on Ask Gamblers. 
so yeah, basically the CEO Michael Daly of Katina was asked, you know, why is this by by analysts on the call, um, and he kind of hinted that um, that Katina would have been able to boost Ask Gambler's revenue by by targeting kind of untapped markets, um, but he said he didn't really want to to deal with the with the regulatory hurdles. Um, he said that Katina had kind of received letters from from authorities in in unregulated markets. Um, and that the, the company had taken the decision to, to stop targeting um, those markets. So he's kind of suggesting there, you know, that GIG has a bit of a, a stronger appetite for uh, for regulatory risk in, in perhaps kind of greyer markets for that brand, um, which I think the, you know, the investors uh, probably took at face value. But then what was particularly interesting is a, a GIG executive um, went to, to LinkedIn um, he went into LinkedIn uh, this week, and I hope we've got a, a little graphic here for you. But he he basically appears to have suggested that um, the bulk of growth at Ask Gamblers has uh, has so far come from from regulated markets um, such as the UK. I don't know if we're able to get that that status on stream. Um, but yeah, he basically said, um, you know, we've seen growth globally, but most significantly, it's been in regulated markets such as the UK. We have barely started to scratch the surface of unleashing the potential of Ask Gamblers. Um, so, yeah, sorry, that's not the uh, that's not the graphic. Um, so, don't worry about that for now. Uh, there we go. There it is. Um, so, yeah, you can have a, a quick read of that um, for yourselves. But um, yeah, Nico, what what do you kind of make of that? Obviously, we're never going to, you know, have have the inner kind of insight to see what GIG is is doing differently under the hood. But um, it doesn't reflect particularly well on on Katina that there's been this kind of immediate turnaround in in the brand and its fortunes. Especially if you just take into account the time span, right? We are speaking about a time span of roughly six months, six to eight months, if I'm not mis mistaken, or nine months, right? And if you if we just take a look at the overall metrics, right, um, we just see, okay, it's already already gone, that they significantly increased the player value, uh, and you already gave the numbers um, as as well with the ref share, which is now roughly uh, or it's an increase. What did you state? Like forty five percent, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And this is first of first of all, and never forget, we are talking about an already saturated market. So it's not like uh, you know, um, as gamblers uh, as of now are now working in a market which has not yet been opened. And all of a sudden, uh, they are uh, providing traffic, what you can see in the uh, in the US. So it's, it's quite interesting that they obviously had been able to use literally the same approach and increase uh, uh, the numbers significantly. And um, yeah, this for sure uh, just, just um, amplifies and, and highlights that the, the decision of buying as, as gamblers has been a well uh, um, thought through uh, acquisition. And I'm pretty sure that Marce uh, Marcel uh, and Andrew, uh, two of the uh, leading C-levels at uh, GIG, will have a lot of fun just uh, dealing with these numbers as well. Yeah, fair enough. Um, although I think they're they're on the sports side, but yeah, right, you are um, Marcel, especially as he's looking at uh, additional acquisitions. I think in his new role. Um, 
so yeah nico uh, let's go from from one kind of you know faltering gambling company um to another and uh, this is the news that entain is this week dealing with a with a further shareholder revolt um some big kind of us hedge funds have uh, have waded in to express their uh, their discontent at kind of the company's performance over the last uh last few years um do you want to take us through this story briefly um, I, I did not read the overall story uh, through, um, but if I'm not mistaken, just let me uh, look this up. If you want to start us up. Yeah, sure. I, I, I can do it. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, this is basically the news that, um, yeah, New York-based head funds, um, Dender Capital and Satcham Head Capital Management uh, have joined Eminence Capital in going public with their, with their doubts, basically, over Entain, um, its performance and its leaderships. Um, they've kind of built up their, their stakes in Entain so that they can gain a bit more influence. Um, and basically, if you look at the share price um, performance of Entain, I think we've got a graphic that we should be able to show you now. Um, you can kind of see, you know, where this uh, where this discontent is coming from, because this is a, a two year graph that displays um, Entain stock performance. And as we can see there in in November, so this month it reached uh, it reached a historic low, um, which doesn't reflect. Um, there's obviously you know a lot of moving factors in that regard, both both macro and, and micro. But if you're uh, one of the main hedge fund shareholders in Entain, you're going to be pretty disappointed with that performance, um, I would imagine. And and they they're kind of going public with those thoughts now. Um, what's really interesting. Uh, Nico, thanks for that, Lorena, um, is that um, what they want to do is basically build up a position on the board now. So they've got even more structural influence at the company because um, Entain recently had an investor day and it said it was going to create a new a new executive committee. So it has better oversight of these kind of issues. And there's going to be four people recruited to that board. Um, but basically, uh, a gentleman called Ricky Sandler, who is the CEO of Eminence Capital, um, he now wants a position on that board by the sound of it, or he at least wants a position in the company so that he can help appoint people um, to that board. And that will mean that they get a lot more of a kind of significant steer over, over the future strategy um, of the business as they, they try to reverse those fortunes. But a bit of background on on Ricky Sandler because this is when uh, this was in June this year, and Eminence Capital uh, was kind of the first big shareholder to go public um, in its criticism of, of Entain, and this was focused on the acquisition of uh, STS in in Poland, um, and they really weren't happy with kind of how that deal was financed, um, and the quotes from Ricky at the time were were very critical indeed. He said. Um, while calling this deal accretive on an earnings per share basis may be technically correct, it demonstrates that management either doesn't understand finance or worse, that they believe the company's shareholders are naive. Um, so that seemed to be sort of the uh, the final straw for, for Ricky and Eminence Capital. And they've obviously got some more influential investors to to back them up and uh, and push for change at the top of Entain with the uh, with the leadership of uh, of Yetta Nigel Anderson now being kind of called into question. So a really difficult period for for Entain. I'm sure you'll agree, Nico. Yeah. So um... and and just remember that like 
also two or three weeks ago, uh, two of the sea levels just invested heavily um, into in Venezuela. So they, uh, they obviously um, have good faith in uh, what they're doing. And usually, um, and just, just based on another article, um, you know, statements of investors um, usually are based on, you know, a certain peer group and Flutter is the peer group of Entain. While um, the share price of uh, Entain um, w- um, significantly went down, the share price of rival Flutter has climbed 11% uh, this, this year. So you can actually see, okay, it's pretty much the same big ship, Flutter, Entain, while we are going down, they are going up. And then you literally don't have a lot of arguments which, uh, uh, you know, manifest your own uh, uh, position. And I'm not taking DraftKings into account as well, who also had a significantly increase in their share price um, as well. If you would um, compare the uh, pretty much share price um, mid-2021 with an actual share price, there would be no, literally no (coughs) gaming company um, seeing any kind of increase as they all decreased from mid of 2021. But as stated, if you just take the year 2023 into account and just compare within your peer group, uh, arguments um, don't come easy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you're right to point out that year-to-date um, difference between Entain and, and Flutter, which, as you rightly said, is up 11%. It's not like you can say, oh, well, this is happening to everybody. So, you know, what are we meant to do about it? Because it, it clearly it isn't. And I think the reason that um, the reason behind that kind of difference in share price performance seems to be that Flutter was much quicker to roll out kind of safer gambling tools in the UK. Um, and it's already soaked up that... Um, you know, th- those declines, whereas Entain and, and AAA were, were probably slower to do that and are now feeling the effects of it um, much stronger at a, at, a, at a bad time, really, in general. Um, so, yeah, like you say, the, the the executives have put their money where their mouth is and they've um, they've bought a bunch of stock. I think um, Yetta doubled her own shareholding. The chairman, Barry Gibson, quadrupled his um so that yeah they obviously have faith they think they're doing the right thing <clears throat> but it's fair to say people disagree with them um including two london-based hedge funds in a uh, Perback capital partners and ilex capital partners who aren't shareholders in entertain but they've actually taken short positions against the company um so they're sort of yeah they're, they're predicting it's going to be a, a, a bumpy bumpy ride ahead for for entertain i'm afraid uh, but time will tell, and I'm sure we'll cover those developments on uh, on weekly news as and when the time is right. Um, but I think that probably brings us to the end of uh, of this week's weekly news. Um, we've covered a lot of bases there, Nico. Um, thank you so much for your, your contribution and a, an excellent 10 in 5 this week. Um, a big thank you, obviously, as well to everybody who's commented. It's great to see uh, a busy comment section on, on the stream. So thank you so much for your support. Um, and also a big thank you to Playson and to Bombay Group for supporting us with their sponsorship. So, um, yeah, we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much and goodbye. I go I bring 
coming close to me Flow is on the topic, I'm starting fires through poetry The heart's out, staying loyal, no falling out And if you step into the court, be ready, we ballin' out, yeah uh.